So I think we're recording. Well, I think we are. I can see the the green bar moving across. Hello and welcome to Punk Goes Pod. Uh, Sam will do the proper intro in a few minutes, as you'll hear. Um, and the uh, intro song as well we'll play. <laughs> sure. Because I've left that for the second part, which is... Uh, our interview with Wyatt Miller, formerly of Fearless Records and formerly of the Militia Group. And it was uh, something we've been wanting to do for the longest time, I think since we started, was to get someone from Fearless Records or formerly of Fearless Records yeah. to talk to us about the process. And it's it's kind of... it's It's a really interesting chat about... Because he was there at the forefront of... Uh, the first pop album and the first acoustic album to the point where basically like he's responsible for Swing Life Away by Rise Against yeah. and yeah. just super responsible for all of those, you know, great songs that came out at the time that influenced so many pop punkers in the early 2000s. I have to ask, did you know where that sentence was going when you started it? Uh, not really. <laughs> I I like the... um. The Honesty? way that you deftly ad-libbed that. That was very good. Yeah. We are recording this at 8.58am. And you're about to start work. I am. Um, but we thought we'd put in just a little... Preamble. Yes. Um, you, that has thrown me off my train of thought, but that's okay. Sorry. Uh... I would just like to say that this podcast has turned into the friends we made along the way. Absolutely. We may not ever make a, a dollar from it, but I love that we've we've encountered so many interesting people and made so many great friends. And once again, can't thank you enough, Wyatt, for coming on the podcast. It was an absolute joy to talk with you and for, you know, thank you again for giving up a bit of your Saturday to speak with us. Yeah. Um, as for release schedule, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Anyway, enjoy. Thanks. So, once again, welcome back to Punk Goes Pod, the internet's only podcast that chronicles Fearless Records, Punk Goes series. Yes. Uh, we are blessed this week to have, it's been a while since we've had a guest, so I might... Uh, might lose myself a little bit, but uh, we are absolutely stoked to have with us today Wyatt Miller, formerly of Fearless Records. Hi. Worked, worked <laughs> on worked on Punk Goes Pop 1 and Punk Goes Acoustic. Yes. Yes. One as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess rather than us trying to condense who you are into a very brief uh, descriptor, I guess as much or as little as you want to tell us, um, yeah, tell us about yourself, Wyatt. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I can tell you. Um, I was I was born in 1979, so nice. I was. That is an excellent 15. song, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I was 15 when like Green Day Dookie came out and oh, wow. Offspring Smash came out. So I mean, I was like right at that perfect age of the punk explosion in the early 90s, mid 90s. Um, one of the first shows I ever went to was The Offspring, No Use for a Name, uh, wow. Quicksand. Um, shortly after that, I went and saw The Cramps. You know, I was lucky enough to be 
old enough to see the Ramones play with mm-hmm. Rancid back when Rancid had a horn section, you know, so mm-hmm. I definitely my, spent my teen years, you know, listening to a lot of punk, going to a lot of punk shows, yeah. living in the suburbs of Southern California, um, which, you know, is such a, a big scene. Uh, I was kind of in between like Orange County, LA, San Diego area. And, um, but I grew up in a small town um, called Temecula. I actually went to the high school with the guys from Finch, which are on uh, oh, Punk Goes wow. Acoustic. Yeah, yeah. I knew all those guys. Uh, we would go to shows together. I'd go to their house. To, I knew their family. Like, I recorded a demo, uh, which featured four of the five members. Or wait, yeah. It was Alex, um, Nate, the other Alex, and Derek. So yeah, four of the five members. Um, you know, um, so yeah, I was really involved in the, the punk scene in Temecula. I, um, I worked at the corporate CD shop, um, but I would always shop at the punk DIY record store in town. We only had two, we only had like the corporate one and the, in the, in the DIY one. Um, but one day I, um, I think I was upset with my boss or something. I went in, I went into spin records and was all like, Hey, you guys hiring? And they're like, actually we are. And so um, I interviewed, I even tell my friends, I, was, oh, I got to interview at Spin Records. And they're like, they won't hire you. They only hire their friends, but um, they hired me and I quickly became the buyer of the store. So my wow. job was to um, buy all the product for the store. Yep. Um, and then one day this guy came in and he said, he that mp3s were the way of the future and he was going to start this website that sold mp3s um and he wanted to name it spinrecords.com because we were spin records and yeah. Yeah. at first i was like you, you can't do that like and he's like no i can it's it's different because we're adding a dot com and this was in the night this was in 99 98 ish so you know we didn't have a website we we're just a little yeah. diy record store um, i don't even think i owned a computer at that point um but he ended up like offering to hire me to help him because he knew nothing about music. So he ended up hiring me and I was, you know, some 19 year old kid who was paying a ton of money to, he had like $20 million worth of investors to launch this website. But um, so, yeah, I got to travel all over the U S I went to CMJ in 99. Um, he booked a booth on Warp Tour 2000, so I went and traveled on the entire Warp Tour, yep. and um, within like two years, he went bankrupt. So the, <laughs> the website never launched. <laughs> he had very upset investors, mm-hmm. um, and so then I went back to work. Oh, and by that time, anyway, so I went back to work at a different little punk DIY store up the a, a couple towns away in Lake Elsinore. Mm-hmm. Um, it was called Filthy's Music Exchange, and funny enough, it was owned by Jeanette Consales, who was the singer of the Chubbies, who you guys did a track yes. on. Yes. Yeah. So it's so funny. Like I, like, I was like, oh, they did one on the, the Rocky Horror Punk Rock show, and I was like, I wonder if they're even going to mention Jeanette. You're like, that was one of your favorite tracks. So, exactly. um, yeah, she was my boss, and I was working at the record store. Oh, and I, I know Avi for like 20 plus years from Spring wow. Man and Silver Sprocket, yeah. we've known each other, yeah, for over 20 years. So it was fun seeing him work on that project. And like, we were talking about it a lot. So yeah. uh, when he was working on that, but um, so yeah, working at Filthies and 
one day I, I get a call from Bob from Fearless Records and he was like, hey, we're looking for a sales guy. Do you want the job? And I was like, yeah, definitely. Because um, At The Drive-In was one of my favorite bands. I must have seen them play 10 plus times. Nice. Yeah. Um, so I started working there. It was a small operation. It was, it was Bob, the owner. His yeah. wife would come in occasionally. I pretty much did everything um, sales, marketing-wise. We had one person run the shipping department, which was pretty much just shipping out the CDs. Yep. And um, we had one kid who was still in high school um, who would come in after school and do our graphic design. And um, he ended up being the singer of Hello, Goodbye. So Forrest, yeah. I've known Forrest since he was a teenager. We used to go to shows together. Um, I remember the first time he played me a demo. He's like, I wrote a song last night. Do you want to hear it? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so yeah, working at Fearless was great. Um, Punko's Metal had already been out. That was out before I worked there. Yeah. And um, one of the things I think Bob liked about me is I had experience going on Warp Tour. And Warp Tour was such a phenomenon back then. It was just like it was the it was the show you went to every summer all the popular bands played and they had never once booked a fearless records band. Yeah. And, and he's all like, Wyatt, you know, Kevin Lyman, the guy who owns months warp tour. He's like, Hey, can, can we get a meeting with him? See what we can do. And I was like, yeah, I'll set up a meeting. Uh, we ended up sponsoring a booth and yeah. we were able to finally get into the warp tour scene. Um, with a few bands. And so I again toured on Warp Tour all of 2001 as well. Wow. Um, which, which goes up for about two months yeah. um, all over the US and Canada. Um, and then we used to work, um, we worked with this guy named Lauren Israel. He managed one of our bands, Plain White Tees. Yep. yep. And um, Funny story, I was the first person at Fearless to go see the Plain White Tees. I saw them at a little coffee shop in Pasadena, and I told Bob the next day, you got to go check this band out. And he went and saw them at a little pub at the, in, in Irvine. Um, I think it was called <laughs> Hoagie Bar Michaels. Awful name. And he like, was like, oh, I'll sign them right now. So, um, yeah, I got to be – since it was such a small operation, like, you know, we got to – I was very hands-on with everything. But yeah. Lauren was working with this other band called Fake ID – um yes. who's on Punko's Pop. Yeah. And they had sent in like a four or five song demo. And the last song they did was like a cover of like a Britney Spears song or something. Yep. And Bob was like, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard. I don't like <laughs> the band enough to sign them. I'm not gonna sign them, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna take their idea and I'm gonna do a Punko's Pop. And he's <laughs> like, I'll I'll throw them a bone. I'll let them be on the compilation because they were a pretty unheard of band. Yep. Um and um and so yeah he calls me in his office and he's like I got this idea for a comp punk goes pop and I was like yeah let's do it he's like I want you to handle pretty much everything like I'll pick the bands but like you contact them you book the recording time you deal with managers record labels all that kind of stuff so um he made a list of bands um you know we were looking our budget at the time was five hundred dollars a track and we would give the band 120 CDs that they could sell for whatever they wanted. Um, So we couldn't pick 
bands like no effects because they would just laugh at us because you know we had to pick bands that were up and coming that were buzzing and um and he let me pick one band he's like he's like i'll let you pick one band i won't i won't veto it and so um i picked my friend's band noise ratchet because they were like one of my favorite bands at the time but Mm -hmm. um that's how i got started at fearless records and how punk goes pop started um i did kind of do like a track by track breakdown if you wanted to hear like the little stories about the different tracks or Uh, we can do that later or that sounds amazing um i will say we spoke with um so an australian band hands like houses we spoke with their lead singer interviewed him because they did a they did a song for punk goes 90s too and so the budget got up to 1500 at that point (laughs) yeah i think i remember you one of the episodes i heard you say that but that makes sense no one knew what Punko's pop was when I was doing it. And Punko's metal didn't sell well. So mm. it was, um, we didn't have any expectations of what it actually, how big it would actually become. We had no idea how big it would blow up. That's, because I think that was going to be one of my kind of obvious questions is like checking in with the Punko's franchise now. Like, does it still, I feel like I'm jumping ahead, like logically in my head, but does it still feel like true to the mission statement that was like punk goes metal, punk goes pop, that kind of thing? Like, well, you know, I think, you know, Fearless has evolved. When I worked at Fearless, it was a skate punk label, you know, yeah. it, you know, we had bands like Big Wig, the Aquabats, you know, like, um, you know, different things like that. We put out a couple strung out seven inches, you know, yeah. it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it was a, such a small, small operation. And now I, I mean, I, I haven't, I don't know how many people work there, but I mean, I've been on their website. It looks like they're a lot bigger. I think Bob ended up selling fearless for a couple million. If I'm, Whoa. if yeah. I'm correct. Um, I think he started a new label. Um, I think it's called thriller records, but um I don't even know. I think he maybe still consults with fearless, but I would imagine they're a much bigger team now. And, um, and their sound from what I understand has evolved. I mean, and I think it evolved as Warped Tour evolved, you know, yeah. like Warped Tour used to be a skate punk festival. And then it got more into like this, uh, I don't even know, like the kind of the scene screamo kind of yeah. thing, you know? So I think Fearless evolved with when Warped Tour evolved, you know, kind of, I don't know, maybe they got different A&R guys. I know when I was working there in the early 2000s and and in 2001, 2002, like Bob at that time was all like, man, I I don't even know what's hip anymore. Like, you know, he, (laughs) you know, he knew I was hip in like the early nineties, but like, you know, so he left a lot of the, even like A&R and like, Hey, why you listen to this demo? You're 21 years old. You know, why don't you, (laughs) you know, tell me if this is any good, you know? So yeah, I think he ended up just hiring some, some a and r people and i think he kind of you know took more of a consulting role um yeah oh that's amazing like i will say like it's not it's not necessarily to our taste but they do they do go with what's sort of popular at the time with their their pop albums and it's sort of like leaned more towards like in their later because i can't remember when the last pop album came out it was like 2017 maybe or something but like yeah the late teens it leads very much more into like metalcore and and 
like yeah yeah the sort of breakdowns and it's, that sort of stuff where it's like we go oh another one of these songs it's, <laughs> yeah it's certainly very clever that they've kept their finger on the pulse in that sense yeah because i think like the reason that we started doing this in the first place was especially like punk goes pop um and like a handful of tracks from like subsequent ones like um like your 90s that kind of thing mm. i those were just those little sort of i guess novelty tracks like that we'd sort of download as like apologies but as mp3s yeah um, <laughs> when we were teens and again it was like that novelty factor of hearing the songs like the pop music that you grew up on as a young kid then being either parodied in some instances or treated with like genuine care by bands that you genuinely enjoyed listening to like there's a real novelty to that that then leads into like a very sort of affectionate project Mm. all up and so yeah like though there's a handful of cds in the franchise that hit like they ring true particularly to both of us but then you do notice as we both aged out of that scene yeah it's that thing of like the ones that came after feel strange and unfamiliar and yeah um is that very classic like am i out of touch not as the children who are yeah what's new and popular is scary to me now yeah yeah same i still listen to like melodic punk for the most part you know i'm still <laughs> like stuck in the 90s i guess um you're but, doing way yeah. better than me like i'm still listening to like mid to late 2000s blink i think yeah. but, <laughs> um, funny story blink played my high school when uh during like cheshire cat era oh, yeah wow. they played in our gym um students only like, you could, like if you weren't a student you couldn't go oh my goodness <laughs> See, Sam, he had a similar one where, because he grew up on what's called the Mornington Peninsula over here. So very beautiful, like, to me, in my head, because I grew up in regional or rural Victoria on a dairy farm. So the equivalent of just growing up in, like, the middle of nowhere in the US and having to, like, go drive hours to see a show, whereas Sam was only ever, like, an hour and a half out of a major city. Very, like, to me, it's the equivalent of, probably like growing up in like the bay area or something in the u.s just in terms of like the aesthetic yeah, of it yeah. and fucking who was it sorry <laughs> um was it yellow card and some 41 it was they were playing an old high school in like 20 minutes away from me so like no bands were coming down that area but they did yeah. some 41 with yellow card opening for them and because like i've i've copped to it in the past because <laughs> i I mean, my main music now is, like, extreme metal. And, like, I haven't aged out of that. But, like, getting into <laughs> that as a 16-year-old, I was like, I can't listen to anything else. I can't enjoy anything else. Because, or else, like, I won't have any cred as a as a, a new metalhead. So, like, I had, to, yeah. I had to abandon all the things that I loved. And, <laughs> yeah, I should have. It's now, like, the offspring and Sum 41 are coming over here and we're like, do I redeem myself and go see? <laughs> we've already ticked half of them off your bucket list, but here we are. But yeah, like that's sort of the equivalent. Like, yeah, I just like the fifteen-year-old in me was just like, "What did you do? Like, what have you done?" That would have been such an incredible opportunity. But also, I kind of love that very arrogant teenager thing of like, "I don't need to see these guys." Yeah. Like, They're twenty minutes away. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it's literally like half a bus ride. I I remember when Jimmy World signed to Capital, I was pissed. I was like, sellouts, like, 
yeah, I don't know. We we were kids. We make stupid decisions, you know. Exactly. We think we're yeah. We think we have some kind of I don't know ethic to stay punk or I don't know or DIY or indie or whatever. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess on that note, like I always love to ask this to people that we interview or just people I meet that have similar interests. Like growing up, like what was the first record you bought yourself? Like what were the bands that got you into this aesthetic, this like mindset, I guess, in terms of like just loving punk? Yeah. um, I mean, first, I mean, first album I remember owning was MC Hammer, but you know, that was like 10. Um, First CD I bought was Soul Asylum, Grave Dancers Union. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, like, but like, like first punk records I got where, yeah, like shortly, right. Probably like within weeks of buying that soul asylum one was like when I got like green day and offspring and, um, yeah, like I said, I think the second show I ever went to was the offspring third show I ever went to was the cramps. And by then, and like, by then I was like discovering local bands. I think like the fourth show I ever went to was like assorted jelly beans and meat grinder and kettle cadaver and first defense and just all these bands that you know never really did anything um actually i think travis barker was in assorted jelly beans for a little bit but anyway um what did that guy ever do i know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so it was it, it like from i wasn't really into music until like 94 i think we didn't have cable tv and I think when 94, my parents got cable TV and that's when I discovered MTV and I would come home every day after school and watch. I remember, you know, turning on the TV the day Kurt Cobain died and just being mm-hmm. like so pissed off, like being like, I can't believe this has happened. You know, like, yeah, it was just it it quickly became like everything to me, like mm-hmm. um, where like I was like. Like I said, I recorded um, a demo with four of the five members of Finch. Um, you know, like I, you know, I wanted to be an engineer, and I mean, I did not have the skills to be an engineer, but like, I just wanted to do something in music. You know, um, so yeah, working at Fearless was that kind of opportunity, and so um, yeah, it was really cool to work there and, and go on warp tour and different things like that. That's incredible. Do you have you know, as as a young kid? I mean, I was like. 21 years old and they're sending me on the road for two months you know (laughs) it's funny like you think you truly think you're invincible when you're in your early 20s and then you look back you're just like I had no idea what I was doing and I say that as someone who I didn't I very much was just in the mindset of like okay now I need to go to university because that's what you do so like my 20s were very tame but you started university at 17 true so like you were also like you were below the the like you couldn't drive by yourself like but I think just like my 20s were never wild in any sense but I still look back and just go I was a baby what Mm. was I doing so I can only imagine being sent on the road just like yep cool I'm managing operations on behalf of my record label like this is fine (laughs) yeah you know I was you know I was selling merch out of the the merch booth you know sometimes making 10 grand a day like it was I mean not I wasn't making that but the merch booth was making that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's that's a lot of cash to be responsible for though <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> so much money on shirts like as well like when you break it down it's shirts that's making that much money it's kind of sad that that still feels like the key revenue thing for bands mm. is but then in saying that it kind of makes perfect sense like I still remember 
mostly because like there was nowhere around like we didn't have the equivalent of like hot topics that sort of thing there was one store within an hour's drive of me growing up that had um like cool merch and that kind of stuff but yeah I remember like being able to cop some really good merch was like highlight of a show as well yeah. <laughs> um but yeah we sorry were you gonna say something I, uh, I, I, was, in. I was gonna say it was also like being over here it was kind of harder to get things that's why look sorry we pirated a lot of music <laughs> um but like I remember I remember my brother buying me an Atticus shirt for my 15th birthday and the hoops he had to jump through to get an Atticus shirt sent over and then was it like, the, like the upside down raven or something yes yep. it wasn't even that it was like it was like <laughs> the letters were sort of like look, meant to look like they were carved out of like granite so it yeah. was like at oh, okay. <laughs> and, and then like when I found out you had a show you were just like yeah I just bought it at the local cd store <laughs> it's yeah I know we're definitely going on a tangent here but I keep thinking about that like Every time we go to like the local mall to just run errands and I see just walls of Converse sneakers, even that just felt like yeah. such a hard thing to get. Yeah. As like, I'm always kind of grateful that we grew up in the era that we did. And then like by extension, Wyatt, like I imagine it would have just been truly like that idyllic teen experience in terms of like growing up and like discovering new bands and that kind of thing. Like we sort of had that weird hybrid thing where we did have access to mp3s and the internet but we only had and we've talked about this concept before like we only had a certain amount of bandwidth like be it mental or literal bandwidth in terms of how much new music we could take on at a time and so the bands that we discovered when we were kids are very dear to us but then there's these very strange gaps in our knowledge between like what we listen to and then like people I meet who are the same age as me and what they listen to because you just you could only account for so much I can't imagine being a fan these days and just having like everything. streaming, like everything yeah. right there and having to pick your way through it. Yeah. I, I still never downloaded an MP3. I, yeah. I have a huge vinyl collection. I'm still just very much old school. I will use Spotify occasionally or Bandcamp just to test out an album to see if I want to buy it. But yeah. yeah, I'm still very much a physical. Yeah. Um, release type of person but yeah it's yeah in the 90s we didn't have the internet or if it was you know maybe one kid had it like you'd have to go over to his house and there was bands didn't really have websites it was just you had to like look in the paper and get flyers at shows and yeah yeah. it's just how you found out about new music yeah yeah I would go to shows completely blind I remember right when I first got my license when I was 16 I went to the local punk venue and it was like one of those things where like door guy asks you who you're there to see and then he tallies so he can like pay each band I guess how many people they brought you know because these were all bands that didn't have albums out or anything and um and I was like I'm here to see them all and they're like no you got to pick one I was like I don't even know what any of them sound like I just I'm here to see them all and like you know there was 20 people at the show and, and pretty much it was just all the band members you know other band members watching each other it was just me and my friend we were like 16 years old just just got my license and funny enough one of the bands ended up being goldfinger you know so it was just like but you know they didn't have an album out no one knew who they were you know they were just like a yeah that's i got to go to i mean i got to see you know no doubt before they blew up when i was a kid like i got to see a bunch of cool shows like that like um yeah it's kind of funny to to be there at the beginning Yeah. yeah 
I can't I, remember. Oh, sorry, you go. No, you go. I was just going to say, I can't remember the first band we talked about that was that came up through the Orange County scene, but like being like, okay, looking into it and being amazed with just how much came out of this one area as yeah. well blew my mind. I think yeah. Fearless yeah. was Orange County. Yeah. 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 I think like just listening to the bands that you're dropping, even Wyatt, like the, like Green Day being one of those foundational bands for you, like for me, they were probably like the band that got me into punk proper and that was with American Idiot um so then like just having that experience of like backtracking like going through like Dookie like Nimrod all the other incredible albums leading up to they were my first show so seeing them with Jimmy at World and My Chemical Romance (laughs) and then like no doubt My Chemical Romance when it was like hey we're bringing along this little band yeah and now like I love them so so much and I'm so stoked that they're back um, I saw, or I saw My Chemical Romance open up for two bands that were on Punko's Acoustic. I saw them open up for Piebald and Noise Ratchet, and wow. they were the first band. And it was at this place called the Troubadour that yep. you know probably holds three, four hundred people. Oh, but, that's incredible! Yeah, I met Rick Rubin at that show. Oh, oh wow. wow! Yeah, that's so cool. But like, and yeah, like no doubt, I think that's probably one of my favorite like brag moments about myself is when my sister and I were very little my parents were like okay you can choose between the Spice Girls or No Doubt on cassette tape which one would you like to share and listen to together we were like No Doubt and then very quickly (laughs) got the Spice Girls afterwards but that's okay yeah (laughs) so I like to think that I was a true like scarhead back in the day (laughs) get your get your checkered bands and yeah exactly and your pork pie hat oh for sure (laughs) so I reckon if you're up for it, the idea of going through like a track by track yeah, overview of pop sounds so good because we've still got a couple of those left to go, but we've still got the too many more songs. Uh, we've got, I think we haven't done Bye 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 yet. I'm so excited for that one. <laughs> we haven't done I Want It That Way yet. We, yeah, well... we had to get a, we didn't have to, but uh, another podcast, Zeitgeist Labs Collective, joined us for the O Town episode because we had no idea who O Town were because there was like they just <laughs> they were not a thing over here. Yeah, and so they were they were really good. They were able to come in and be like, well, they were you know they were on a, a competition show and they were managed by was it Lou Perlman? Yeah, yeah. Who also managed NSYNC and like he was a wildly fascinating person. Really yeah, did. and I feel like I feel like they even had like a oh we're gonna be like the Christian boy band, but I I don't remember if that's true or not. I might be thinking of a different band, but uh, um, <laughs> I didn't. You know, um, working on these compilations, half the time I didn't even know who the people they were covering were because I'd be like, I've never heard of this song before, but if you say it's a pop song, I believe you. You know, like because <laughs> we let the bands choose every song. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I can kind of just start, you know, um, Punko's Pop. The opening track is Dynamite Boy. Um, yes. Tell Me Why by the Backstreet Boys. Yes. Very yeah. Um, I guess before we get like stuck into it proper, did you okay. ever, sorry, did you ever um like vibe much with 90s pop at the time or were you just kind of like, not my scene, not a fan? Not my scene. Um, I mean, the first, you know, the first, like when I was like 14, I yeah, I listened to whatever was on MTV, but by 15, 
I I would refuse to watch MTV. You know, exactly. it was just like, yeah. I, I, but so yeah, there was a short time where I I liked some pop music. I think I bought a a Janet Jackson CD at one point. Um, you know, I, I maybe I even had like the soundtrack to the Bodyguard. You know, like, but it was it was very brief, brief moment where yeah, I was listen to all genres but it, it very quickly became focused in more on you know the punk and I still listen to a lot of like industrial and metal yeah um, my, my high school years as well like I was obsessed with like Slayer and Sepultura and Nine Inch Nails and different things like that nice um yeah no I just I think again speaking from our perspective I think because we well, for me at least, and we did have a similar conversation with a couple of other people, so the hosts of the podcast that Sam just mentioned, when we were all kids, we did very much, like, love just that very straightforward pop music. And then that, like, that boy band dynamic almost lends itself very well to, like, okay, so you enjoy NSYNC. Well, have you tried Blink-182, for example? They're a boy band, but they're slightly different. <laughs> and it just sort of, like you hit the ground running with that and then just game over from there. Well, it's like, it's um, the article that you sent me that was sent that was that MTV news. Um, it was MT- MTV.com. MTV.com. And like the, the line that sort of sums it up perfectly is the kids listening to Finch now were listening to Britney Spears last year. Yeah. 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 So it's yeah. such a perfect encapsulation of like, just that, yeah, that transition from like one to the other for yeah. so many of us, yeah. I think, which I think is one of the many reasons why I love it. Yeah. But um, anyway, <laughs> let's get back on track. So yeah, track one. So Dynamite Boy covering I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. Uh, what can you tell us about it? Um, so they were on Fearless Records. So yeah. they were like a no-brainer, like, okay, we're putting out their new record. You know, we're going to promote our own bands first. Um all I remember was Bob saying like dynamite boy has to be the opening track. He's like, I, you know, we'll figure it out from there, but we're starting with dynamite boy. Cause they were the band that we were pushing the most at the time. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to have a lot. Some songs I have good stories about some. I'm like, eh, it's 20 years ago. I don't remember. Like the second one, like slick shoes. Like, yep. I remember talking with Joe, the singer and, you know, and him, you know, being pretty easygoing and, you know, just like, yeah, we'll do it. And, you know, I had seen them play before, you know, they toured down here quite often. Because they're Canadian. Is that correct? No, I don't think so. I think we're from Southern California. Oh, okay. So, yeah. I yeah. Think so I, yeah. Mentally, I think I just associate them with being Canadian because they're on the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. <laughs> but like, that's such a stupid way to link them. But I was like, yeah, they're Canadian. So thank you for yeah. that. um yellow card another band just you know they were selling you know they were playing like smaller venues you know less than 200 but they were always bringing like the whole crowd you know um so they they had they were on lobster and they had just signed to capital but the album wasn't out yet yeah and um Lauren Israel was working with them, who worked with Plain White Tees and Fake ID. He was also the president of A&R at Capitol Records. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. He was one who, like, 
helped, you know, put out that clarity by Jimmy World, you know, different things like that. Yeah. And he worked with another one of our bands, Rock Kills Kid. And I think he was working with Yellow Card. So we were able to, you know, they were one of the bigger bands or more buzzing bands um, at the time. Yeah. Um, the Stretch Armstrong track, I wish I could remember any stories about that just because it's probably my favorite track on the compilation. Yeah, it's such a um, yeah. started, yeah. I think. Yeah. But like, I remember like, you know, going to hand deliver the CDs to them when they played a little rec center in um, uh, Manhattan Beach or Redondo Beach or something. And, and just, yeah, being like, they put on such a good show. They were, they were so much fun. Yeah. Um, Rufio. Okay. So this one, I got a little bit of a story on and I know, you know, obviously Sam, you like Rufio. Um, <laughs> Love him. So, they were also a very buzzing band at the time. And, um, you know, they, I think, had just put out Perhaps, I Suppose. Yep. And kids, they, the militia group couldn't keep that in stock. Like, it was just sell, selling out so quickly. I was actually on a bowling team with Chad and Rory from the militia group. So we would go <laughs> bowling every week. Yep. And, um, and then we, once a year, we would go to Las Vegas and do the punk rock bowling tournament, um, yep. which back then was just a tournament now it's like a festival you know but back then it was just like oh no effects is bowling next to us or you know like it was just really a bowling tournament it was really just an insider event like the it wasn't open to the general public you had to be invited um but so yeah i was good friends with chad and rory hanging out them on a weekly basis i got to see just them running militia group out of chad's bedroom to you know being able to like get an office just because of that Rufio record, you know? So um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Um, well, that was the song that got me into, like made me aware of the Punk Rose oh, wow. series. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, cause my, my brother was, I was a younger brother and my, uh, my older brother was, um, he had a friend who was importing a lot of CDs from the U S and he would, burn them and so going through his cd wallet and just like yeah just like fake id no use for a name uh rufio just being like oh okay i'll listen to that and being blown away yeah yeah and then then listening to their cover of like a prayer which is yeah because the original is such a like cinematic kind of song almost Mm. and the the treatment that they give it is just perfect like this is yeah to me this is one of the key tracks because it's just such a brilliant cover that sticks to the concept so well and they pop up a couple more times yeah on the podcast yeah. Yeah. always a pleasure talking about them <laughs> and um they were managed by this guy named nick bogardis and he also managed thrice so yeah. um when we when we asked when I was talking with Nick, I was like, "Yeah, can we get Rufio on it?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah." And can we get Thrice on it too? And I was like, "Whoa, Thrice is kind of a big band. Like, are you? Do they want to be on this? Like, okay, like let me just clear it with Bob." And I was like, "Bob, Thrice wants to be on this." And he's like, "Yes, yes, yes." So that was kind of cool. Um, that happened. That happens a lot when when I'm kind of going through these. Like some of these bands were only on it because you know they asked to be on it, or like you know like they heard about it, or you know different things like that. That's awesome. Um, like, and little fun. F- oh, you know, I was going to say other little fun fact is um, the guitarist from Thrice engineered this song and the Thrice track, I think, like on the same day. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
I think what I was going to jump in and say was when we were talking to Trenton from Hands Like Houses, he was saying that it's definitely one of those projects where if you are an up-and-comer band, it's that perfect opportunity to just get your name and your yeah. your style out there. Yeah, Like a yeah. lot of yeah. bands treat it as like that sort of quick promo almost. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect advertisement for who you are. Yeah. yeah. So I love that like other bands were like, oh, I'd like to do that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so next is a further seems forever so this was one of the bands i really 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 wanted to be on the compilation um chris caraba was the singer of further yes. seems forever and yeah. he had just left to start dashboard confessional and they got a new singer jason gleason and they had not recorded with Jason yet. Um, and so I wanted to have like the first further scenes forever track with the new singer on it. Like, I don't know why, but that was like so important to me. Um, and they, um, their manager, Josh did this sim- a similar thing where like, he's like, yeah, I'll give you further scenes forever, but you got to put one of my baby bands on there. Aww. I'm working with this new band <laughs> element 101. Yes. And I was like, yeah, I don't care. I'll, I'll, um, any band, I'll put any band on this if I can get further seems forever on there. Yeah. So that's how Element 101 got on there as well. Yep. Um, and they were so hard to track down for their seems forever. We're like, they're like, we will only work with James Wisner or whatever the whatever the guy who produced it. I think his name was James Wisner. And um, he's the only producer we work with. And I was like, oh, we'll lucky us. He's in the studio with one of our bands, Glass Eater. So um, yeah, you can come in for a day. I'll just talk to Glass Eater. They said, yeah, totally. You can come in for a day. And then they're like, well, our drummer is out of town. And so um, yeah, I just don't think we can do it. And I was like, let me talk to Glass Eater. So actually, Julio, Glass Eater's singer, plays drums on that further track. Oh, wow. wow. I, I don't think anyone really knows that. That's probably like one of the few... Yeah, no one really knows that except for me and the band, probably. (laughs) And now other people. But yeah, the singer of Glass Eater played drums on that track. That's so cool. Is that a particularly unique thing where, like, a band's generally kind of easygoing? So I suspect it's probably one of those things where you're giving us this opportunity to come on a comp, like, we will work around you. Like, was that kind of unique in them being sort of like, actually, like... Yeah, yeah, and I think they... And I think if it was another band, I probably would have just been like, oh, you can't do it. You can't do it. But like, it was really important for me to get them on there. Like, I just really, really wanted them to be on there. And it's not like they were one of the, I mean, they did well, but you know, they're not like, I thought they were going to be the next big thing. (laughs) I think it's, it's nice considering the position they were in after, yeah, they were needing to replace Chris Caraba and like reestablish themselves in that sense, because it's different to, like, it sounds terrible. I feel like when you change frontman, that's quite a significant yeah, step. Yeah, that's a big band. thing to replace. So I really like that you put in the effort to give them that platform to be like, yep, here we are, minus Chris. Like, yeah. this is what we're going to be like from here on in. Yeah. But yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, the next we have Noise Ratchet, Candy. Yep. Um, again, this was the one band I got to pick. Um because I, I just, I loved them. I thought they were great. I thought they were going to blow up. But um, this one uh, was engineered by Sean O'Donnell, who um, later joined Yellow Card. So that's kind of nice. a, a fun fact. Yeah. Um, 
Element 101, I kind of told you about how they already got on it just because uh, as a favor to further Seems Forever and to Josh. And that's such um, a cool level. We really love yeah, talking about that one. one. Yeah. So I'm glad that they <laughs> managed to sneak on. Yeah. Um, Knockout. Knockout was a fearless band. So again, same situation with Dynamite Boy. Of course, we're going to go promote our own bands. Um, and fun fact, because I know I've heard you're a Fallout Boy fan. Um, yeah. Patrick, before... Uh, what was the big fallout boy was it take this to your grave uh yeah that, that was the one that put them on the map that was their debut. yeah because like, they were they were on a small record label for their first one when they were they didn't even sound anything like fallout boy yeah, but then before they got yeah yeah before they get signed to fuel by ramen um we had just put out so the knockout album came out before that and he, yeah. they were good friends with fallout boy so awesome. um patrick sings backup vocals on almost every track of that knockout record oh, that's so, so um and knockout their singer was yeah they they broke up um relatively quickly yeah. um and then another one of our bands were about to go on tour and lost their drummer and we were able to hook up Knockout's drummer, Damar, with Plain White Tees, who he still plays with Plain White Tees to this day, 20 oh, years later. So cool. <laughs> I love that. Um, the starting line. So the starting line was a buzzing band. They hadn't put out their album yet. Um, was this a you know, head of um, that Say It Like You Mean It, was it? That big one for them? Yeah, or? they hadn't put that out yet. Yeah. Because um, I know, because I'm thanked in that one, because... Um, (laughs) they're like, thanks Wyatt from Fearless, you know, because I put them on this compilation. They had an EP out on, on drive-through. Um, and this was one of those songs where they're like, we're going to do J-Lo, I'm Real. So it's like, I don't even know that song. So when I didn't realize that was a remix version until I listened to your podcast and I was like, oh, um, that's funny. Um, I do remember Kenny being like, I'm not comfortable saying the N word. I don't have to say it. Right. And I was like, no, no, you don't have to say it. <laughs> that is a very smart move from past everyone working on yeah. that. Cause my God, yeah. like it, yeah. Excellent call. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you mind if I don't say that? I was like, yeah, no, I, that's oh, cool. Bless him. Thank God. That would have. I think the alternative where he was just like throwing it out would have just been like, oh my goodness, who are you? Like, <laughs> oh, he was a sweet, he was a sweet kid. They were young. Was, that band was young. They were young yeah. kids. Um, just quickly, we've definitely been out at karaoke and someone's just casually dropped the N word and we all just booed them. It was like, you yeah, know. it was, it was, it was a friend of a friend. Well, it was a friend of a friend's boyfriend at the time who she's not with the boyfriend and by extension we don't see the, the friend now and it was just like i don't care if you love kanye west and are singing a kanye no. west song <laughs> so i was i was very pleased like it's that thing like you are as like the sum of all your friends is who you are and i was so pleased that we we're all just like boo so <laughs> please continue <laughs> um so the next was keepsake they were a fearless band as well i don't think we had put anything out by them yet but you know again we we're just pr- shamelessly promoting our own bands um i remember kind of being a little bummed out on this song though because keepsake were super heavy band and they just did this like super ballady pop country song and i was like <laughs> i feel like you didn't understand the assignment um I do love when bands do that though, because that song obviously means enough to them that they're like, no, I really want to try and preserve that 
very saccharine feel to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Reach the Sky, they were, you know, they were a buzzing band. I think they were trying to leave victory and were, oh, wow. maybe we were even courting them, but they ended up breaking up. I can't remember the exact details. So um, sorry if that's wrong. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, Ian was such a nice guy. I, I remember he gave me a, a Reach the Sky t-shirt that I probably wore for 15 years. You know, oh. I, I, they were just, uh, I, I love that band. They were great. Yeah. Um, that they broke up. Um, fake ID. I kind of told you that story. They're the ones who really inspired punk goes pop. Um, um, show off. They were another buzzing band. They were, they were, you know, they were on a major label and they, but they, no one like, they didn't earn, they didn't like earn their beginnings in the punk scene you know yeah. started you know they just got they were this band that just got signed to maverick which was madonna's label and we thought it would be hilarious if they just did a madonna song so yeah. um <laughs> that's kind of how they got on it um thrice i told you that situation um they asked to be on it but i do remember kind of being bummed out because it wasn't a pop song i thought it was a rock song like i was like this isn't yeah. I mean, they were like, it's an 80s pop song. I was like, it's an 80s rock song. Like, eh. I, I just remember. Some... Sorry, you guys. Yeah, no, I just remember kind of being a little bummed out on it. It's a good cover. I just didn't feel like it. I feel like it stands out as a rock song amongst pop songs. I mean, it represents Australia because real life is an Australian <laughs> band. So That's true. Yeah. It was uh, featured on the BMX movie Rad. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is that the one with Nicole Kidman in it? No, no that was I'm... BMX Bandits. Oh, gosh. anyway yeah um nicotine was a very popular band from japan and i remember bob being like we got to get nicotine on here so we can move we move units in in japan like we were you know we were just starting to like break into the japanese scene which the japanese scene is like second to us i mean they buy a lot of albums and they bring bands over if you get big in japan you can make a ton of money and so yeah, we just was like, let's get the biggest punk band in Japan and tell them we'll put it out, you know, in the U.S. and then this will help them get their U.S. fan base, which was very little. Yeah, but it'll help us get into the Japanese market. So yeah, um, and then Student Rick, again, similar to Reach the Sky, they they were on Victory. They broke up shortly after releasing this. Um, I remember I had a Student Rick hoodie that I wore for many many years. Um, yeah, nice guys. Um, yeah. But I don't remember any specific like backline stories of you know how they were picked to yeah. get on this. That was our very first episode. It was as well. too, yeah. And I, yeah, I remember us being like, it feels like they don't really want to be doing this, and then finding out, oh yeah, they broke up like <laughs> yeah. within a year after this. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I remember I just other I, I went into the studio when we got this album mastered. So each band sends us a track and then we go into a mastering studio and we have someone master it. And um one funny line I remember the guy who mastered it saying was that the only the only decently recorded track was the starting line one. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, a lot of these were done in like home studios for five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Um and then, um, so yeah, Punko's Pop came out, it blew up. You know, we mm. had no idea 
we couldn't keep it in stock. It was selling out everywhere. Um, and that's when I actually came up with the idea of Punko's Acoustic. Nice. So I was listening to demos all the time and every band would send in like a four or five song demo and it'd be like four pop punk tracks and one acoustic track. I mean, it was just, you know, dashboard was blowing up. Yes. Yeah. And so I went to Bob and I was like, Hey Bob, I got this idea. Next punk goes, punk goes acoustic. They're doing original tracks, but acoustic versions of it. Yes. And he's like, yeah, go for it. I'll let you pick all the bands you did so well with the last one. $500 budget, 120 CDs, you know, the deal. And yeah. so this, this was one that like really became my project. That's um, awesome. yeah. And, um, so the year was 2002 and I was out on warp tour again yep. and warp tour back then was a very community aspect. Like you hung out with the bands, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like, what I've heard it is, you know, later became. Um, and I remember one time I was in Omaha on a day off and I went to go get some pizza with some other friends. And, but I'd been hanging out with them all day. Like we went record store shopping, whatever. And we went to get pizza. And right as we're walking in, um, Randy from French, um, one of the other guys from the starting line, um, Matt, it was Matt from the starting line and Joel from Good Charlotte were eating yes. pizza. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, I see Randy from Finch. Like I said, I mean, he were, he used to he used to be one of my best customers at the record store I worked at. Like he would come in and be like, I like Blink. What should I listen to? You know, like <laughs> uh, he was a little younger than me, uh, but just a few years. Um, and then I knew Matt from the starting line because of, you know, Punk Goes Pop. And they're like, Wyatt, come sit with us. Come sit with us. And I was like, oh, OK, my friends, you mind if I ditch you? They're like, yeah, no, it's fine. We've been hanging out with you all day. So <laughs> I'm eating pizza with. Joel from Good Charlotte and, you know, Randy from Finch and Matt from the starting line. And, um, and I remember Joel being like, I said something like, yeah, or Matt was like, yeah, that Punko's Pop Track's doing great. And Joel's like, oh, you made, you produce that? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I bought that in Hot Topic. Like, I love it. Oh, I was just like, oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, Good Charlotte were so big at the time. Yeah. Mm. And I remember telling him, I'm like, hey, um, I'm, uh, I'm doing a new one called Punko's Acoustic. Do you, you yeah. guys want to be on it? And Randy's like, yeah, dude. And Matt's like, definitely. And Joel's like, oh, 100%. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to get a acoustic good Charlotte track for oh. this. You know, this will be the, by far the biggest band. Um, and he's like, yeah, just ask my brother, you know? And I, so I went up to Benji, you know, like the next day and I was like, Hey, talk to Joel. He said, yes. And Joel, and, and Benji's like, yeah, definitely here. Yeah. I'm down with it. Um, here's our lawyer's information get home from warp tour start putting full punkos acoustic mode call their lawyer i was like yeah joel and benji you asked me to be on this compilation and the lawyer just laughed at me and he's like i'm sorry that's not how this worked they will not be a part of this <laughs> like no they don't do things like that and i was like like but they wanted to they said and he's like no i will talk with them they are not doing giving you a track essentially for free like what? no it's not gonna happen um so All right. that's kind of a a funny little story on on that well i mean benji is basically an adopted australian now so that's true because he's we... married to sophie no no not. well benji's married to nicole ritchie yes um, but, yeah, but like he he, he comes over here all the time yeah. so if i see him i'll be like that lawyer man yeah 
oh man you could go into such a tangent of like oh they always used to talk about like just all those like one percenters being so greedy yeah. and all oh, anyway because like they were arguably at their hottest in 2003 yeah at yeah, that yeah. moment they were at their their peak essentially Gosh. yeah I mean, they were they were main stage Warped Tour bands, and we were working with you know the small stage Warped Tour bands. Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at the the lineup though, there are a lot of bands that did blow up. Yeah. Like, there's there is a lot like like Finch. I mean, I can't wait till we do Letters to You. Yeah. Um, Taking back Sunday. Definitely. Yellow Card again. They were on there. Strung out the Ataris. Yeah. I well, mean, we Rise get- Against. That's a good one. I can't wait till we get to that one. Yeah, yeah, because we—I mean, we recorded that episode. We did it on in the car, <laughs> like a, a couple of months ago. We did, yeah. Um, but yeah, should we go over acoustic, or do you have any Probably. other questions about pop right now? I don't think I do. No. It's just such a pleasure hearing all of this. So yeah, yeah. I'd get some thoughts about acoustic. <laughs> yeah. So open hand. I um, They were. I was. You know, I was going through my revolution, my evolution of of music, and I was getting into heavier music. So I think a lot of my what I was listening to at the time has a lot of influence on who is on Punko's acoustic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Open hand. They were just again, they were a buzzing band, and so I was like, yeah, let's ask them. Um, Thrice again, we already worked with them on pop, so it was just like a no brainer. Like they had, you know, like. Just call call up Nick and he'll be like, "Hey, we're doing a new one. You guys in?" They're like, "Yep, we're in. It's cool." Yeah. Um, you know, because they just everyone saw it blow up. Yeah. Um, Sugar Cults. So I did not pick this band. Um, they were added last minute. Um, so I left Fearless with pretty much a finished product that I handed to Bob and was like, "Okay, I got a job at the Militia Group again." I told you I was good friends with Chad and Rory. Yes. Um, I really wanted to work with Noise Ratchet and The Beautiful Mistake and The Lindsay Diaries and all the bands on their label, which is what I was really into. So I, I left Fearless and Fearless struck a deal with their label somehow to get it on this. Um, okay. Yeah. Nice. So um, I didn't pick that one, but I'm not mad at it. It's good. It's a good, it's a good song. Yeah. I remember Sugar Cult being a big thing. I I mean I remember them for having one song on the movie Van Wilder. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> and like the only other thing I remembered, I remember reading one of Henry Rollins's diaries, and like his band was recording in the same studio space that Sugar Cole was like recording, and he was like, "I do not like this band." Oh no! Just in the very Henry Rollins sort of like, yeah, I do not like this band. Exactly, very gruff. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Finch one, like I said, I went to high school with these guys. Uh, I was thinked on what it is to burn, yep. um, you know, um, and they already had this, this track in the, in the can, I guess is what you call it. It was from a performance called uh, Fox Rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Um, and again, like, yeah, just, I knew that, yeah, they were on Warp Tour 2002. Um a lot of these bands were on Warped Tour 2002. So yeah. Thrice was on Warped Tour 2002. Yellow Card was on Warped Tour 2002. Sugar Cult was on Warped Tour 2002. Finch was. Thursday was on Starting Line. Like all the, almost every band on this was yeah. on Warped Tour 2002. Um, 
and because that's where I was like really seeding the ideas of everyone. Do you want to be in this? Yes. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, there was a number of bands from Punko's Pop that played Warped Tour 2002. And this was like the first time we were getting a lot of our bands to play Warped Tour. So I know like Dynamite Boy, Slick Shoes, Stretch Armstrong, Further Since Forever, Knockout, Keepsake, Reach the Sky, Fake ID, Show Off, Nicotine, Student Rick. Um, all those bands played Warped Tour 2002. So wow. I think this, I think Punko's Pop had even like an influence on you know, Kevin Lyman booking warp tours. Like yeah. I think he yeah. kind of could have looked at our comp and been like, okay, you know, we were very much aligning ourselves with the warp tour brand. I think like, it sounds silly, but the fact that you had like one of the Madden brothers be like, yeah, I bought that CD and loved yeah. it. Like it obviously permeated high up enough in like the echelons of the scene to have an influence. Like I could totally see Kevin being like, oh yeah, like I see this making rounds. Let's get in touch with these guys. To the point, haven't good Charlotte done like unplugged sets in their later I think days? Have, yeah. yeah. I'd yeah. like to think that you influenced that. <laughs> Thank you. I like to think they had a talking to with their lawyer at some point. But yeah. Um Thursday. So- Thursday. So Thursday was like the further seems forever of, of the Punkos pop. This was the band I wanted the most. Like I was yeah, just yeah. all like, what do I got to do to get you on? So they were more warped tour 2002. Like I was talking to them every time I would get a chance. Hey, if you talk to your management, can you do it? If you talk to, you know, your, your record label, what are your, what are your thoughts? You know? And I just remember like being backstage with them. They're like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah. Get, get in contact with our people. Here's all of their phone numbers. And I was like, great. As soon as I get home from warp tour, um, we'll do it. And I remember calling up victory and victory's all like, yeah, we'll, we'll let you put Thursday on there under one condition. You have to put one of our baby bands on there. And I was like, yeah, no problem. I don't care whoever it is. I'll do it. And they're like, okay. Um, I don't, they haven't, I don't think they had had an album out yet. Uh, so no one had really heard of them, but they were called Taking Back Sunday. So <laughs> I love them so much. Oh. So it, that was one of those funny ones where, yeah, I had no, I had never heard of Taking Back Sunday. No one really knew who they were. They were an unheard of band, but we put them on there just so we could get Thursday. Yeah. I hear that, like, from all the accounts I've heard of Jeff Rickley, I just hear that he's like the nicest dude. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah. I never, like, again, I think because Thursday are one of those gaps in my, mm. like, history, I guess, because I sort of lean towards, like, yeah, cool, taking back Sunday, done, but didn't really turn left and look at Thursday. But, yeah, I just, yeah, it makes me happy to know that Jeff is just such a solid guy. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um. Yeah, starting line, again, already worked with them. They were on Warp Tour. So it's just, you know, it's easy to just, you were already friends with these bands, you know? Yeah. So it was just like, yeah, you, you know, put, you know, put them on. Yeah. Put them on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Strung out was one I, I didn't pick. Um, so our shipping girl, uh, I think her name was Aaron at the time. If I remember correctly, she was all like, can I pick a band? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and she actually reached out to Strung Out. Fearless had put out a couple of their seven inches in the 90s. So they were very aware with us. They were on Punko's Metal, I believe. No, maybe not. Sounds, yeah, I feel like we saw them on something else. Yeah. Yeah. I um, love that everyone gets a say. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, she was all like, I want Strung Out to be on it. And I was like, all right, 
you know, here's their manager's number. Here's their band, you know, here's their number. You have to do everything, you know, if you want them on this <laughs> and she did everything and she got the track. So we included it. Oh, amazing. Um, the Atari, oh wait, it's where we are, the Ataris. Yes. Um, fun fact, originally they were going to do an unreleased track called Fast Times at Dropout High. Um, but which was later recorded, but yeah, they chose to switch it to eight of nine. Um, I believe their guitarist was in another band that was on Fearless. And I don't remember if it was Warp Tour 2001 or Warp Tour 2002, but the Ataris were playing and it's named Johnny Beefcake. He was in a band called Beefcake that was on Fearless. He was their guitar tech and they, they fired their guitarist and just had Johnny take over. So I think we knew Johnny from being in beefcake and so like i think we were just like i was like hey johnny can get it you know because you know the ataris were pretty big um they were they were a main stage warp tour band so like um i was like johnny can you get get the ataris on this he's like yeah let me check so that's how we kind of got the ataris on there this kind of feels tailor-made for the ataris punk goes acoustic like it feels like their vibe yeah we've always sort of remarked that they just they sound nostalgic already yeah. like you listen to them and you already feel like you're looking back <laughs> on when you used to listen to them like i think it's because like so long astoria is so much about like looking back at the good exactly. old days they did what what was their cover they did the uh the boys of summer which is again so about good. like looking backwards and yeah re- remembering yeah. the good times <laughs> there's just something very bittersweet about their music style yeah like, i just i love it so yeah perfect and yeah. then take us back Sunday. Oh. Yeah, so you, yeah, they, I only put them on there as a favor to victory, <laughs> but hey, that song was a hit. Oh, huge. Um, from Modern to Ashes, again, they were a band playing Warp Tour 2002, so it was just like, and again, I was getting into heavier stuff, so I was like, yeah. I really want to hear the heavier bands, like, do this. Yeah. Um, you know, um, again rise against was um you know i wanted to hear a heavier band do this um i remember contacting i think it was their it was one of the guys that was in um 88 finger lou i believe it was joe um i remember emailing him and like like somehow like sneakily finding his email address or his phone number like Back then, like, you know, a band had a domain, but you had, like, if you wanted to buy the domain, you could type it in and, like, somehow get the contact information of who owned it. And it just happened to have, like, his name or email address or phone number. So I reached out to them, and I remember him specifically going, like, dude, have you even heard our band? We don't sound anything (laughs) acoustic. And I was like, no, I know. That's perfect. That's why I want heavier bands to be on this. And he's just like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like I'll talk, I'll talk it over with the band, but I mean, it's, it's I'm going to say slight chance that we'll do it. And I was like, perfect. Just all I'm asking is talk it over with the band. He's like, we just don't know how to write acoustic music. That's just not what we do. <laughs> um, and sorry, you go. Yeah. Cause obviously this out, you know, this was the first release of Swing of Swing Life Away. Their major yes. label debut did oh. not. Ha- I mean, their ma- their major label debut was not out yet. It hadn't yeah. been out. It wouldn't have come out for years later. Um, so I remember they were before it was. They had a working title of Loud and Clear. Um, 
and then they changed it to swing life away but you know if you the first line is you know something about loud and clear um and you don't have a physical copy of this correct no we don't so if you ever looked in the inlay um it says that the song was written by neil hennessy which was not a member of rise against um so it was actually written by one of their roommates and and he was in a band called the lawrence arms yes and um and on the original version um bill stevenson from um black flag and the descendants um did the backing vocals on it wow wow. and um but on their major label one they let neil do it (laughs) because they were probably like they're probably like oh you wrote this song yeah we'll let you do background vocals on it probably give you something out oh that's so sweet and then it turned out to be their biggest songs yeah yeah it turned out to be their biggest song that they didn't even write and neil went on to be in some great bands um that i love the arrivals treasure fleet um different things like that so yeah yeah um so yeah he he definitely went on to do stuff but um yeah i don't know if he's i wonder if he i mean i don't know the inner workings of like what their major label debut was if like they were like hey you know like does he get money on every time that's played on the radio i have no idea but fingers crossed Mm. (laughs) yeah um Highball, they were just a band I really liked. Um, like I told you, I'd seen My Chemical Romance open up for them. Yeah. You know, they were just a fun band, and yeah, I reached out to them. And um, yeah, Rufio, same. I knew them. Strike Anywhere. Um, again, I just really like them. Still to this day, I love that band. Man, that band is so good, and they nailed it. Like they, they were like, I mean, a lot of these bands nailed it, but they did. A great like where like swing life away that wasn't a that wasn't a heavy song that they did acoustically yeah. you yeah. know that was an original brand new song um where you know strike anywhere you know that was like one of my favorite tracks and they like they covered chocolate and i was just like yes yeah. mm. um noise ratchet kind of same story again i was friends with them mm-hmm. coalesce so i was at the point of transitioning to work at the militia group Um, from Fearless Records and I remember Rory one of the owners of the militia group he loved Coalesce and he was all like you should get them on this compilation they would be great for it and they had just broken up I believe but like all I needed was the singer you know obviously they came back and reunited but like like I was like all I need is like the singer to do it you know and um so like we kind of like pitched it like hey this is like a swan song this is your way to say goodbye to coalesce forever yeah um but then they ended up getting back together a few years later so (laughs) (laughs) way it goes um great again it was just another like hardcore band I was into and thought they would do a great job yeah um glass eater um alone in the world without you again they were a fearless band we were just trying to um promote our own bands um i did listen to the glass eater episode and i heard you're all like oh yeah you know the original version is alone in the world without you but on the acoustic version it's just alone in the world and that's has to be a mistake because if you open up the booklet it it says alone in the world without you just on the back someone probably forgot to write without you and that's probably that's stuff like that happens with every album you know there's yeah. always some kind of like 
mistake. Yeah. I'll um, edit the Wikipedia page. Because <laughs> I'm looking at the Wikipedia page now and it still says it's just alone in the world. Yeah, which someone yeah. probably lifted off the backtrack listing, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Midtown, they were a band that paid Warp Tour 2002. So, you know, again, that was just sowing the seeds. Um, yeah. Let me see. There was a few other, there was a few bands that recorded for Punko's Acoustic and got cut um, I can after see I that, left. Yeah. I can see that there was a bonus CD. Um, oh, so the bonus CD, um, Victory made us do that to get Thursday. So they were like, you want Thursday? You have to put in a bonus CD and promote a bunch of our new bands. Wow. And again, like we yeah. would do anything to get, I wanted to do anything to get Thursday on there. And so, yeah, we had a bonus CD where we promoted victory bands. Um, but yeah, there was supposed to be Planes Mistaken for Stars was supposed to be on it. Oh, that would have been cool. Um, Near Miss, which was a band on Fearless, was supposed to be on it. Um, Beautiful Mistake recorded a song called Fragile Fingers, but I think Bob was maybe upset that I left for Fear for Militia Group. He cut that one. I don't know. I don't know what the story mm-hmm. is, but they recorded it. And I remember working with them, putting out their record when this came out yeah. and then being like, what? We're, we're supposed to be on this. What happened? And I was like, dude, I don't know. Like you turned in your track. They had it. I don't know why they didn't include it. Um, River City High did a song called Hello November. River City Rebels did a song called Daddy Was a Drunk. Um, I believe there was this band called Name Taken that was supposed to be on it. Um, yeah. Um, so funny enough, you know, Matt Bellinger, who was in Planes Mistaken for Stars, yep. um, he so I had re- typed out a thanks list if you, um, had the physical copy his name was left on the thanks list thanks list even though they cut his track because they yeah. didn't cut they didn't cut his track and then tell me i didn't find out until the album came out so mm-hmm. what's funny enough is if you look at the thanks list it still has him <laughs> good for him i think like i i find acoustic to be a bit of a mixed bag because you find that some bands it it sounds kind of mean-spirited, I don't mean it to, but it feels like they are very much just lifting the format of their original song, but just it's unplugged. But then you do see some that really do take the acoustic version as a way to sort of reinterpret the song, like add a bit more yeah. detail, like add something different that the original doesn't have. Like, I guess, yeah, what was your experience like just in general in terms of, getting to hear these acoustic cuts for the first time and compare them with the original. Yeah. Some I loved some, yeah, fell short. I mean, that's just what happens, you know, when you do this, you know, um, you know, you don't get, um, yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. Like I remember the first time hearing the rise against song and was like, these guys killed it. I love this, you know? Um, and I was like they said they couldn't do it you know like and I remember I remember I was coming home from a punk rock bowling tournament yeah I was in the back of Mini Cooper (laughs) which is very small and punk rock bowling is in Las Vegas and we lived in Orange County um and I was for some reason their booking agent was all needed a ride home from Vegas and we were like yeah you can get a ride home with us and I just remember her being like 
this song's going to be huge. Yeah. It's going to mm. be huge. And I was like, it is. Like, we both when we heard it, we were like, this song is a hit. Yeah. And um, of course, it didn't hit the charts until the major label version came out and they had someone pushing it because Fearless didn't have that kind of money to push a song to radio. Um, but yeah. Um, one thing I was also going to add uh, that I forgot, you know, I remember seeing Yellow Card and people like requesting them to do like their, like their, um, their version of um, whatever. Uh, give me a second. Of Everywhere by Michelle Branch. Like, oh, yeah. like everyone, like people, like, you know, you, you shout out your favorite songs, you know. Uh, and I remember them always being like, yeah, we have to play everywhere, like every show. It's like a fan favorite. Same with Noise Ratchet with Candy. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if you look, if you type in Noise Ratchet on Spotify, their number one song is Candy, which yeah. is their cover. Um, <laughs> and I remember, yeah, they were just like, they're like, yeah, thanks, Wyatt, for putting us on this comp. But now we have to do this cover at every show because like kids only came to see us to hear us do that <laughs> one song. We've sort of meant, like talked about it in the past or like on past episodes. It's very much a formalized like version of when bands will trot out just those cute little covers just to sort of amp up the crowd or mm. like just as a bit of a break between their set list, that kind of thing. Like there's, yeah, there's definitely that novelty and like, oh, cute. Like they're covering a song that is quite goofy and silly, but they're actually killing it. Like what's going on? Well, even like the band that we interviewed, hands like houses um because they did a cover of they did a cover of a cover which is torn by natalie Ambrulia. yeah and it's a very like get the crowd involved sing it along and everyone knows the words because yeah you know especially over here where natalie Ambrulia was huge because you know she was australian yeah yeah that, oh i love that that's so great i think um one thing i wanted to know was like when you were on tour, like doing Warp, like were there any moments where you sort of just had that kind of, I guess like that, wow, like I can't believe I'm doing this moment. Like were there any sort of interactions with musicians where you were sort of like, oh, wow, I used to listen to you when I was a teen and now I'm speaking with you in person, that sort of thing. Yes, yes. So um, every, so Warp Tour has this thing called the barbecue ban, or at least the three yeah. years that I did it. Mm-hmm. So they would get some small unknown band and mm-hmm. they would let them play on the entire tour, but they had a barbecue for the entire crew every night. <laughs> and now Kevin would give them hundreds of dollars to be like, here's $500 or $1,000, whatever it is, go buy hot dogs, go buy buns. Um, but they had to, and, they, and the year was, I can't remember if it was 01, I think it was 01. Yeah, and there was a band called Madcap. They were the barbecue band, and they had a very attractive manager, tour manager. Yeah, and that was the year the Misfits played, but it oh, was wow. really awful, awful version of the Misfits with yeah. Jerry Only, Des from Black Flag, and Marky Ramone. Ooh. And they would like take turns. Like Jerry would do like a few misfit songs des would do a few black flag songs and marky mm-hmm. would do a few ramon songs and it was just awful awful but <laughs> the misfits were and still are or the original misfits one of my favorite bands like yeah. i have so, a those tattoo so yeah nice <laughs> <laughs> um so 
Jerry, I think, was somewhat smitten with Madcap's tour manager, and he offered to help out at the barbecue. And I remember, I believe the show was in Chicago. And because I remember I was with my friend Jeff and his band, Third Try, had randomly gotten added to the Chicago um, Warp Tour. And he was a huge Misfits fan, too. And we're going through the line and they put the burger on the on your plate. And Jerry only's there with tongs and a slice of cheese. And he goes up to me. And he's like, would you like cheese on your burger? And I was like, Yes. Jerry only just asked me if I want cheese on my burger. And I look over at Jeff and we were both just looking at each other, like in shock. Like we can't even like talk to each other that Jerry only just asked us if we wanted cheese on our burger. So that was um, probably a surreal moment for me. Can I just ask real quick, was he still like, did he still have the full devil lock eye makeup wearing the the gear? He was in the full uniform. He was wow. in full uniform doing the barbecue. <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> I remember um, I remember one day we had a day, you know, or just, just just funny stories like, you know, we had a day off and Kevin was all like, hey, everyone, let's go bowling, yep. you know, and we'd be bowling and Alien Ant Farm's bowling next to me and then their <laughs> their song comes on the overhead and they're like, oh, my gosh, this is so embarrassing. Um, Alien Out Farm blew up on Warp Tour. They were on the small yeah. stage when that single came out and the the Michael Jackson cover. Yeah. And I, I, I grew up with those guys as well. So I'd known them since I was a teenager. They would come into the record store I worked at all the time. Those were good friends of mine. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just watching them blow up where, like, they couldn't play the small stage because there would be more kids watching them in the small stage and there would be kids watching the band to the main stage. And so <laughs> Kevin had to move them up to the main stage. Wow. So they got um, upgraded during the tour. Basically. During the tour. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And those were great guys. I mean, I, you know, I'm still, I think friends with some of those guys on like Facebook. I haven't seen them in years, but um, yeah. Um, yeah or like you know I remember like we had a day off in Minneapolis and the Mall of Americas is in Minneapolis it's the Uh largest mall in America Uh, it's like I can't remember six eight stories and what does everyone do on a day off in Minneapolis go to the mall so it's like oh, look, there's AFI on the escalator. Oh, look, there's MXPX at Hot Topic. Oh, you know, <laughs> you know, it's just funny. Like, we're all just doing the same thing, you know, hanging out at the Mall of America. Yeah, um, yeah so that's, that's funny. You know, yeah, I remember I was wearing an At The Drive-In t-shirt. Yep. And Fat Mike came up to me from No Effects and him being like, oh, you like At The Drive-In? Yeah, everyone at my label loves that band. Uh, and he was wearing a Jawbreaker t-shirt. And I was like, yeah, and you like Jawbreaker. I love that band. They're one of my favorites. And he's like, yeah, you know, funny story about this shirt is like, I was like, what's this package from Geffen? What's Geffen sending me? And he like took open like a, a box cutter and like slashed it open. Oh, and he's no. like, and he cut right through the shirt. And he's like, oh man, I actually want this. And he had to call Geffen, but can you send me another? <laughs> <laughs> because was um, the release of Dear You on Geffen? I can't remember. Yeah, Dear You was on Geffen. Major and then everyone kind of got pissed off at them from what yeah. I 
have read. But that's yeah. Because we can't allow our musicians to be successful. Uh, yeah, I saw them three times on their reunion tour. That's how much I love Jawbreaker. Yeah. I flew out to Chicago to see them at Riot Fest. Oh, I'd love. Yeah, I'd love to see them at least once. Like they're, like I have, I have a really bizarre copy of Dear You that a friend gifted me because she found it in a bargain bin somewhere with no liner notes. So I've just got the disc, but it's such a good album that I need to yeah. definitely go and replace it. Um. But I would, yeah, I'd love to see them play. They're just such an interesting band. Yeah. And like we would, we did a lot of gambling on Warped Tour, Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of dice gambling. I believe believe we would play this game called CeeLo, maybe. Um, I was never rich and I never had much luck. So I wouldn't play often. Um, But like every day there'd be like a CeeLo game. And every once in a while, like, you know, we would do like dollar bets, but every once in a while, like, fat mike from no effects would come up and be like here's a hundred bucks let me roll you know and like you know like and like if he lost and he would just leave you know and like you know but like yeah so things like that happened all the time it was a very yeah like communal environment where the bands hung out with the other people you know um oh that's so cool i think yeah it always sounds a bit pathetic when we talk to people in the US about their experience because even just like casual music listeners like Mm. us I think in the US it feels as if there isn't as much of a divide between artist and listener whereas Mm. over here just yeah they're like you've got artists coming from the US to come and visit your city and you're not going to get those casual interactions. And so we hear about these very like everyday things where it's like, whack. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just so like, it's so lovely. Like, yeah. Like we, we have the occasional ones, like it'll just be like, so like one of our big musicians, Paul Kelly, it'll just be like, oh yeah, he was in my bottle shop or like yeah. he was down the street or like the actor guy Pierce. Like my mum would always say like, oh yeah, he just walks his dog down at the beach, <laughs> like in the town that he lives in. Like people will be like, "Oh, hey, guy," and you'll be like, "Oh, hi." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's our kind yeah. of like smaller version of it. Yeah, yeah. It's I um. Do you know who Brett Dieter is from the Juliana Theory? You heard yes. of that band? Yeah. He was also in Zao. He lives in my neighborhood. I don't know where, but I see him once a week probably. He's got bright blue hair. Like oh. I'll get, like, I'll, but I'm always like, I'll see him like right when I woke up and I'm getting coffee at the coffee shop and I'm in like sweatpants or something. I'm like, oh, I don't want to say hi to Brett. I like, <laughs> I did meet, I did meet him once. Funny enough story. I was with uh, one of the guys who worked at the militia group, um, yeah. uh, this guy named Mikey and we were with his roommate and Brett was there. And then Ike Owens from the Mars Volta was there. And we were all just like smoking a joint in the parking lot of some bar or something. I'm just like, I want to be like, do you remember me? Like, um, but I don't know. He's, he probably doesn't, but yeah. yeah. That's so cool. I, I think one thing I find kind of interesting, like, especially as I'm getting older, like I turned 31 this year and feel like I'm about a million years old, but um, like, it's, interesting seeing how people age not so much age out of the scene but like when you do just sort of resume classic like adult Mm. activities like I remember reading up on I'm not sure if you know them but there's a band from Chicago called the Academy Is that were huge when I was a kid and I think they're reuniting to play 
it might be Riot Fest this year, but um, for a while, like the bass player, Adam T. Siska, he was um, playing bass for Carly Rae Jepsen on tour. Like, and then I think he ended up just leaving the scene. And I think he was working in something like, it might've been like logistics or something like that. Like I find it, because obviously there's got to be like at that end point, if you don't end up being like a Rolling Stones or something, mm. you just become a yeah. person again. I guess like in that sense, Wyatt, like in terms of like leaving the music industry and just working in, cause I, you work in education now, is that correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. I'm an like, enrollment counselor. That's so cool. Like, what's it, this sounds, I don't know how to frame my question, but like, how do you sort of keep that energy alive from when you were like on Warped and like, or like, yeah, bowling, <laughs> yeah like, I mean, I, yeah, I, you know what? I had to leave the music industry because I was getting jaded with it. You know, like I was just getting, so after, after fearless, I worked at the militia group for uh, six or seven years. Um, and towards the end of it, like I, I'd have to like sell a band. So I was in charge of uh, distribution sales, retail marketing and um, international licensing. Yeah. And so I was like the director of sales there. And there came a point where like, I was just like, I don't even have to, I only need to listen to three songs of this band and then I can sell the CD. Like I, I was just, wasn't even into music anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was listening to like seventies country rock, like the flying burrito brothers and, nice. you know, uh, Crosby stills, Nash and young and, you know, different things like that. And I had just kind of gotten jaded with, with music, new music. Yeah. Um, and I had to leave it to rediscover my love for it again. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now I go to shows all the time. Like last, what was it? Two weeks ago, I saw Laura Jane Grace and Tim oh, Kasher wow. and Anthony Green. Um, they're doing this carousel tour together. Yeah. Um, I saw Jawbreaker and the Linda Lindas. And the Linda Lindas, if you ever get to see them, put on an amazing show they're They're like i think they're like 11 to 14 years old and they have like synchronized dance moves and they're just the cutest little thing you've ever seen i saw them play with jawbreaker um i just saw bikini kill a couple weeks ago um i have tickets to see hunks and it's punks um i'm actually considering buying tickets to go see this australian band camp cope Huh. Yes, we live in um well the lead singer Georgia. Uh we live yeah. in her hometown Footscray. Um Yeah. She works like she worked at a pub just down the road yeah. from us. Yeah. And she yeah. had interaction with her. I have. It was not the most favorable one because she's oh. very, like like I I was fine, but she like I was just so embarrassed because basically it was like she has always been very strong about like enforcing her boundaries and stuff so like when you get a classic fan being like oh my god and can you do this for my like boyfriend or what he's such a huge fan and she'll just be like no and i love that because it's just like well why should she like yeah. she's out also she was working yeah and she was, she working. was working um she's like yeah. you can buy a cameo exactly <laughs> yeah and yeah she's definitely one of those people where i'm always like if i ever bumped into her i would love to just be like I love you so much. You're so great. Yeah. But also I fully appreciate that she's just living her life. Like I don't want yeah. to. Hmm. I saw, I saw them on their last tour in the U S um, yep. here in Los Angeles. And then I had tickets to see her solo, but then 
the pandemic. Um, and cause I love that solo record. I really wish she would tour on that, but, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. She's playing, they're playing in a couple months, I think in a month, I think in August, maybe, or July. I haven't yeah. got a ticket yet, but I'll probably go to that again. Oh, that's um, so, so yeah, I just still love going to shows. Um, you know, I'm still involved in the punk scene out here, you know, a little bit, not like I don't promote shows, but like, you know, like if I go to the show tonight to go see Noah Green, he's going to come up and say, hey, Wyatt, what's up? You know, yeah. thanks for coming out, you know, um, you know, so. Yeah. That's so cool. I guess in terms of like new music, what are you vibing with at the moment? Any recent releases that you've been enjoying? Oh, yeah. So um, the last record I bought, I think, was the Camp Cope one. Yep. Um, and then I bought the Pedro the Lion, the new Pedro the Lion. Yep. Um, I have the new Laura Jane Grace 10-inch um, mm-hmm. on order. Um, funny enough, there was this band I met on Warp Tour, yeah. I think in 2000, and two of the members of a band that played on Warp Tour reunited for to start a new band over the pandemic that they all live in different states. They're called Riot for Romance. And they made a, I think a limited of 50 copies lathe final. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I ordered that. I've been listening to that. You see my record players right next to me. What about, what about this? We're definitely be considering buying a record player. It'll become a very expensive habit, but I do like the... So you can already probably see, like, I've got a book addiction. Yeah, lots and lots of books. Um, but, yeah, just that tactile experience of yeah. blown-up artwork. Like, yeah. I, just, I think that's what it is for me, is, like, yeah. the, just the artwork in, like, such a, like, zoomed-in quality. Because, yeah. In, like, you know what I mean, like, big... Yeah, I was always, like, huge into, like, buying and curating, like, my collection of CDs, Mm. and I still love that. So I am kind of tempted to... It's an expensive habit. I know, and that's... I have over 600 records. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, But yeah, some of the other local bands that I've been into, there's a band called Fuss, F-U-S-S. They put out a really great EP... Uh, there's a band called Slaughterhouse. I just saw them open up for Emil and the Sniffers, which is an Australian oh, band, I yeah, believe. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah, that was just like a month ago. Um, so, yeah, uh, this band called Clown Sounds. Yeah. Um, the singer of Clown Sounds is a guy named Todd Congelier. Um, And I remember once on Warp Tour in Atlanta, a bunch of us, Toys That Kill was playing a separate house party, not on Warp Tour. And a bunch of us, like, left Warp Tour early and went to this house party to watch Toys That Kill um so that's always a good memory let's see so that looks like the stuff that's in my recently listened to pile mm-hmm. um there's a, do you know who jer is j-e-r yes yes he's he's in that ska band we are the union he has yes. he's he played the, like i think on the new bruce lee band so he just put out a solo record on friday and i have not been able to stop listening to it oh that's so cool and it's all about decolonizing your mind like from like racist homophobic you know like it's so good highly recommend that one i remember so jer is um Scartoon network oh Scartoon yeah network. yes that's uh, jer yes that's and so i think like again similar to punk goes like you like i yeah first found out who they were in terms of um yeah just those really upbeat like mm. 
almost novelty covers of songs that are legitimately good and then you find out more about them in terms of like like their politics and just their worldview it's just like this is fascinating yeah like i love that that's so cool oh amazing that I feel like we've uh, taken a lot of your time. I know. I could just keep talking, but I'm also very much aware that you have a life to get back to. And, and, that, it's, to to. and that it's not daytime there anymore. But um, I'm still out. But... Yeah, but yeah. thank you so thank much, you. Wyatt, for making time. Yeah. This, this feels like a long time coming because, like, we've sort of, like, established this law about what happens behind the fearless records. Yeah. Closed doors. We, like, created, like, our own fake CEO fearless and uh it's actually this was this was something that we needed to tick off was someone who had been there exactly and, and yeah and enough for being there and being here yes <laughs> yeah and i'm sure there's probably other people who did what i did after i left fearless um yeah but i don't know their stories <laughs> <laughs> no understandable but no thank you so much thank you yeah thank you